This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. Last month, Rajasthan became the first state in the country to enact the Right to Health Act. The legislation sparked massive protests from the medical community, with the protests finally being called off only on April 4th after an agreement was reached on the applicability of the law. The act gives every resident of Rajasthan the right to emergency treatment care without prepayment of fees at designated health centers. This provision was contentious. The private health care sector had called the act draconian and was apprehensive of the government's interference in their functioning after the enforcement of this law. But does the private medical sector, which forms a huge segment of the healthcare sector in our country, need legislation? Should emergency care be provided to every resident in need of it at any hospital that is able to provide it? Should the right to life, enshrined in our constitution, also guarantee all citizens the right to health in India? We explore these issues and more with Dr. Soham B. Bhaduri, physician, health policy expert and chief editor of The Indian Practitioner. Welcome to the Hindus In Focus podcast, Dr. Soham Bhaduri. Thank you, Subeda. Nice to be here. Doctor, could you tell us a little bit about Rajasthan's Right to Health Act, which was passed by the Assembly last month and which sparked massive protests by doctors for two weeks? Right, right. So, uh, the, uh, as we know by now already, uh, Rajasthan became the first uh, state of its kind uh, last month to pass uh, an actual Right to Health Act. Uh, the act, as we all know, uh, aims to um, provide accessible and equitable health care to all the residents of the state of Rajasthan in keeping with the right to life uh, of the constitution as well as the directive principles, the article 47 of the, of the constitution. It, it lays down patients' rights, uh, their responsibilities as well, the government's obligation in order to uh, fulfill the requirements under the bill and under the act and also an administration framework which consists of the state and the district health, health authorities now as we know it has sparked uh, a row uh, among, among the medical community and uh, not just in rajasthan but also across uh, the country uh, and and uh, just recently the opposition has dampened and especially after the government has agreed to make some uh, amendments in the bill, uh, the protests have recently been called off. So I think this is an opportune moment for us now to look at the bill, the act, in hindsight, uh, to understand how really draconian the act really is, as is being claimed by the medical community. So um, I'd like to start by telling that uh, you know we, we can uh, start by contrasting the uh, the two iterations, the two versions of the bill. One is uh, the one before the select committee amended it, when the bill was introduced last year in the assembly, uh, and, and it was sent to the select committee for some amendments. And following the select committee amendments, the bill was passed uh, this March. So when we compare these two, uh, the first striking observation that you get is that the, uh, the, the amended version, which is the version which sparked the protests basically because it was passed, it is significantly moderated version. If you see in the powers of the state, the, the authorities, the government have been significantly curtailed in the amended act. 
but uh, a more detailed perusal of the amended act would show that uh, uh, of course the definitions which were a major area of contention even in the recent protests the, the definitions have been added after the select, select committee amendments definitions which include uh, how an emergency should be defined how an emergency care or accidental emergency are to be de uh, to be defined these were not part of the previous iteration as well as uh, the uh, designated health center for example if you read certain clauses especially one pertaining to the emergency care provision by uh, the healthcare providers you'd find that a term designated healthcare center has been added in the amended bill which was not of course part of the previous iteration in the previous iteration uh, it mentioned healthcare providers uh, including public and private so there were no designated healthcare centers as such uh, the more concerning and i would say the more dismaying part of the uh, amended bill was that uh, if you happen to go through the structure the constitution of uh, the state health authority and the district health authorities you would find that the representatives of uh, ayurveda homeopathy and unani the traditional systems basically have been uh, swapped have been replaced with just one ayush representative and allopathic uh, allopathic medicine representatives in other cases so this particularly applies to the state health authority uh, apart from that uh, two uh, experts with um, mastery of public health or public health management which were part of the previous iteration they have been replaced with ima representatives which happen to which will of course uh, needless to say will be medical doctors so uh, like one can just imagine uh, that a body that is uh, meant to drive and meant to steward the right to health act in a state that is the state health uh, state health authority these bodies are comprised entirely either of bureaucratic personnel or the medical doctors so there is absolutely no representation from the pure public health community in the, in the, in the bill and the act is supposed to deal with the social determinants of health as well this is not a right to health care act it's a right to health act so there lies the contradiction in 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 their basically in the amended act uh, apart from that the state health authority the powers have been significantly moderated in the in the revised version uh, including uh, it being given more of an advisory role than uh, that of formulating policies so it's uh, on one multiple areas the role has moved on to advising the government and not formulating the policies per se as far as the grievance redressal mechanism is concerned this is another area of concern here uh, we had uh, in the previous iteration a rather robust uh, arrangement uh, so to speak um, uh, you you had a web portal and you had uh, uh, a concerned official a helpline center who was supposed to attend to all the query on the all the concerns and the grievances that patients would uh, register and they were supposed to respond within 24 hours that role has now been taken on by taken over by um, the uh, the healthcare institution the healthcare institution concerned in, in the question against which the grievance is being lodged and they have a time frame of 3 days not 24 hours in order to act on the request failing which the patient can of course move the district health authority or the state health authority so what what all of these suggest basically is that not only is the reiterated the uh, the reiteration of, of the of the bill 
much moderated, but also it has been made more doctor friendly. And let me remind you that it is this new version which has attracted, which has stoked the protests, not the previous one. So this is one kind of contradiction and uh, which really questions the claim as to how draconian the act really is. All right, so as far as being uh, draconian goes, if anything, I would say that the most diabolical aspect rather of, uh, of, of the bill, of the act, is that how poorly it has been drafted. There are multiple places that are ambiguous, that are inadequate, uh, at places it just goes about r rambling. All right, so uh, so it, it, it's really, it would be really naive for us to expect in the first place that doctors would not protest against it because there are multiple question marks, multiple gray areas uh, in there already. As far as the uh, calling off of the protests is concerned recently, due to the changes that have been recently made by the government, uh, the, the new amendments, they uh, make the act uh, unapplicable to hospitals which have not received subsidies such as free land from the state, as well as those hospitals which are smaller in size, say for example, less than 50 beds. Okay, so we can see that this recent decision is uh, also in keeping with the uh, with past judicial rulings. Basically, uh, in, in addition to the state, uh, those hospitals which have received concessional land from the uh, from the government, they all, all, all they always come under the ambit of the state's obligations. So uh, they are part of it too. That's what I was going to ask you about, Doctor, because the contentious portion, at least one of the contentious portions of the acts that doctors were talking about is that it gives every resident of the state the right to emergency treatment care without prepayment, correct? Or any charges by any public health institution or healthcare establishment, and as you said, the designated healthcare centers. Um, but this was the contentious part that the doctors were talking about. And now, as you pointed out to us, it has been amended to say it will only apply to government healthcare institutions and any hospital that has taken any state subsidies such as land or uh, any other form of financial subsidy. So could you talk to us about this? Why is this contentious, given that, as you told us, there are Supreme Court judgments also that make it mandatory for healthcare providers to provide emergency care? Right. So, uh, as we know that the Supreme Court judgments are basically, these, these are court rule, uh, common laws, uh, um, as we say. These are judicial rulings. These are not really statutory laws. All right. So, uh, of course, these do apply to, uh, you know, these past precedents do apply to future such cases, but they don't really give you the, you know, the machinery. They don't hand over the machinery to the executive to charge for such transgressions. Uh, and it's not just one. The, there are multiple such judicial rulings in the, in, in the same area, such as for the state to provide health care, uh, uh, the, the right of medical care of the, the, uh, the convicts, as well as the right from, to, uh, to protection from inju injurious drugs. There are multiple such judicial rulings. Uh, it's for the first time that any statutory act has given uh, any executive teeth to these rights, basically, which stoked the protests. That being said, Mm, the the reasons for the protests are genuine, as we saw. It, the the act is quite ambiguous. Uh, the private sector, of course, has huge financial uh, stakes in it. Emergency care, as we know, it, these are not elective cold cases that uh, are, are usually, uh, you know, unproblematic. Uh, emergency care is something that the private sector usually tries to avoid. Why, doctor? Uh, 
that happens because it's uh, these are not elective cases overall these are quite unpredictable you can't say which way you know the balance is going to tip so uh, it, it, it's certainly obviously not in the interest of the private sector to entertain any ambiguities in this area apart from that um, you know the the distrust of the go government its reimbursement processes the the private sector is not new to the the, um, to the many government-funded health insurance schemes and the many government programs, basically. Uh, recently, we have seen some uh, deal of improvement there in terms of the payouts as well as the timelines being adhered to. But certainly, uh, like I, I can totally relate to why these protests too took place. But that said, uh, the main objections that have been uh, posited by the private sector as well as the demand to withdraw the act uh, unreservedly, it's, it's it's sort of untenable in my opinion. For, for the reasons being, um, this act doesn't really just apply to healthcare. This applies to all, more than healthcare. It's about health, and when we talk about health, we are talking about social determinants as well: the nutrition, education, uh, housing, and all those factors. So. Uh, the scope of the act is much wider, and uh, to bring it down based on just a few objections. For example, one prime objection has been the definition ambiguity. Doctors uh, and the medical community have uh, have uh, uh, raised that the, the definition of an emergency is not quite well laid out in that. So I would like to uh, propose that most of the definitions that we have adopted in, in any act, for example, in the current act, the, the emergency care definition is it, it's very ambiguous. Uh, even the most accepted definitions, for example, of medical negligence, which is very well known, or okay, and it's it's been in in, uh, in 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 the popular sphere since many decades. So even the definition of negligence is quite ambiguous, and these ambiguities, if anything, they stand to harm the patients more than the doctors in many cases. So these are not the reasons why the entire act should be brought down. Furthermore, this, uh, unlike um, many of the past acts like the Clinical Establishments Act, this act makes no sweeping provisions that every patient who steps into any clinic, any doctor's clinic, has to be provided emergency care or stabilized. It's only for those uh, institutions which are capable of providing emergency care have the infrastructure in place. And that was par part of the past iteration too, before the selection committee uh, amended it. Okay, So we don't really see any reasons for the entire act to be brought down. One dangerous uh, aspect, however, um, is that uh, the subtext of any such protests that happen uh, over any, any, any such uh, legislation that happens to bring medical practice under law, under legal control, is that uh, medical practice should be laissez-faire, as we speak, Okay, but which is not the way it happens any, in any universal healthcare system. This cannot be allowed. Uh, you take the example of UK, the, the time UK moved into the National Health Service, a number of negotiations, bargains took place, uh, as, as we remember, as, as it was quoted, um, it, it was said that the then health minister of UK, he filled the mouths of doctors with gold. Such was the kind of negotiations. And we do hope that such negotiations happen, but bringing medical practice under legislation is absolutely warranted in the country. Moving on a little bit into the Act itself, one of the provisions also says that residents will be entitled to informed consent and to seek information in the form of medical records and documents regarding their diagnosis and treatment. Is this significant given that many patients in India feel that they are not provided with adequate information from healthcare systems? 
Yes, uh, certainly it is. Uh, of course, uh, we have the Patients' Rights Charter, a charter of patients' rights, which, which was promulgated by uh, the National Human Rights Commission, which further down was uh, amended, uh, was, was uh, revised rather by the National Council of Clinical Establishments. And it, it's basically been disseminated to the states. It's the state's uh, responsibility to further disseminate it down to all the healthcare centers for them to be displayed in those healthcare centers. And for, uh, for the state to keep that in mind in all further legislations that they enact in the same area. So I see, yes, this uh, Right to Health Act also carries out that function. It basically uh, uh, you know, enforces it as, as a statute. Uh, so it can help it can help uh, the state to enforce these patients' rights as well as to create awareness among the lay public. And this is felicitously timed, in my opinion, because currently we're in, we're experiencing we're witnessing uh, a health uh, information uh, movement in the country where the digital health infrastructure is being strengthened. We are get uh, we, we, you know promulgating the uh, uh, the health cards. For, 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 the, for digital information to be stored in there. So this is well-timed and I'm certain, I'm sure that this is going to help people. Doctor, doctors have argued, again, that the state is, that this act is essentially the state abdicating its responsibility of providing healthcare for all. But you explained to us that it is far more than that. It is not just the right to healthcare, but the right to health in itself. But it is the fact that in many parts of our country, government healthcare is not very good, leaving patients to opt for the private sector and leading to, of course, as we know, a very, very high level of out-of-pocket expenditure. So is that something that needs addressing first, the strengthening of the state health systems? Right, right. So, all right. So that demands a quite elaborate answer. Firstly, as as we discussed uh, previously, um, again, the doctors cannot be blamed entirely here. As as you know, the act is quite ambiguous, uh, quite rambling and, and inadequate in many places. Again, due to the poor drafting of the bill, make it, it makes it look as if the government is trying to shrug off its responsibility on doctors while having failed to meet its own obligations. Um, as, as far as whether the health infrastructure should be bolstered is concerned, um, we, we all know that it's axiomatic that health infrastructure in India needs improvement. Right. So the National Health Policy 2017, which is the most recent iteration of the policy, it uh, it, it basically advocated an incremental approach to healthcare expansion. It was a, a bit dubious of uh, a legislation, a, a, a radical legislation in, in, in place before the infrastructure was really buttressed in the country. Now, we can just imagine uh, a complaint, for example, the, the Right to Health Act of Rajasthan, a, a patient who is being denied care. He registers a complaint every time he's denied care for whatever reason it would be, be uh, be it uh, due to failure to pay the necessary charges, be it due to un- unavailability of the beds, or any other patient who, uh, you know, finds some of the government obligations that are listed in the act not being met, and they try to register a complaint each and every time. It's going to overwhelm. It's going to inundate the system. So that's uh, practically infeasible. So it is somewhere it is presumed that very few cases, if ever, will be reported under the Act because we don't have the machinery to do deal with them in the first place. Number two, uh, as, as we discussed, uh, the uh, the nodal person, the point of contact to be uh, for the patient for a complaint is the in healthcare institution itself. 
and healthcare institutions today most of the government healthcare institutions are already inundated so you can just imagine the administrative workload that is going to bring upon them in case they really play this role so there are a number of contradictions here of course the health infrastructure uh, needs improvement uh, as far as the private sector is concerned private public partnerships are the mantra for universal health coverage today in this country to to, to be very honest we're not looking at uh, a universal public sector that uh, is over, overarchingly cares for patients uh, throughout the country we we have collaborations with the uh, private sector and uh, the various schemes like ayushman bharat and so on they are for the same purpose however uh, you know it, it doesn't really imply that uh, we should wait for the perfect moment to enact a legislation because you see rights are not just about uh, penalizing transgressions rights are about the uh, they're basically a form of the state's acknowledgement of how inalienable the rights are how inalienable the entitlements are it's it's more about spirit as well not just about the law so uh, one analogy here may be the right to life for example uh, we are not no nobody is going to say that we are able to perfectly implement it but do we wait to enact a, a right to life or or include it in the constitution we really don't right because we we, we cannot do without acknowledging its its uh, basic its inalienable nature and quite interestingly then first national health policy which is from 1983 uh, it, it it basically advocated a universal health legislation unlike the national health policy 2017 the most recent one right so there lies the scope of an act here yeah, yeah going back to something you mentioned a little earlier doctor when we were talking about emergency healthcare i think this is something that if the public for instance would would like to see from hospitals how do other countries tackle this doctor i'm talking about say if you're in a road traffic accident and you have to be rushed to the nearest hospital if you have somebody in your house who has a heart attack or a stroke and has to be again rushed to the nearest hospital in order for emergency treatment how do how do other countries legislate emergency healthcare and why do we have such a problem legislating it right right so i'd say that uh, the position that we are in here in india is hardly different from any of the developing countries so if you see uh, the uh, the social democratic welfare states for example take take for example you uh, the western europe much of these countries have universal healthcare systems in themselves uh, the healthcare entitlements are, uh, are are enshrined in the legislation and whatever be the means be it the the, the public sector which is providing the care directly or it's funding it through the private sector the legislation covers it in most of the universal healthcare systems everybody has healthcare coverage and is entitled to emergency care and in in, in no system that uh, i know the universal healthcare systems is emergency healthcare uh, emergency healthcare uh, left to the whims of the market so that's how it works as for the other developing countries de- with deficient health systems um as you know the gap is huge the demand for care is high the supply is less the mismatch always exists and it's a constant balancing act act just like india you have a weak public sector that is trying to cater to the population but failing at it so you have two basically two different poles here the only solution here is to have a system an overarching system 
where everybody is entitled to care, but at the same time, the healthcare provider is not being undermined. Otherwise, this the situation of chaos, disarray is going to continue. So, talking about the universal healthcare schemes, we have started, for instance, Ayushman Bharat, which, which again you mentioned earlier, which provides health insurance for low-income households that have been brought in to address public health services and attempt to help cut down our out-of-pocket expenditure. So how well have these worked in the context of India and do they fall short of guaranteeing accessible universal health care? So uh, the government-funded health insurance schemes, uh, one of which is Aishwan Bharat, the most recent one, the national one, um, these, these schemes have been in place since 2003 and following that uh, a, a number of national as well as state health insurance schemes have cropped up. As far as uh, the evidence goes, uh, the evidence at best is mixed on these schemes. Uh, have they been able to increase the utilization of healthcare by the, by the beneficiaries? Yes. We do have some evidence that it increased healthcare utilization, even though the overall utilization levels remain low. As far as the evidence on reducing the out-of-pocket expenditure is concerned, it's it's totally equivocal. We don't have any genuine evidence that they have helped reduce the out-of-pocket expenditure. We do see some policy briefs uh, being produced by the ministry, um, uh, by the National Health Authority, I beg your pardon, about Ayushman Bharat working to reduce the out-of-pocket expenditures, but it's not a very robust study either. So we don't have any robust evidence. That's point number one. Number two, um, we would say that the many many traditional flaws, the conventional flaws that have characterized um, uh, these health insurance schemes, government health insurance schemes, they still persist. For example, the targeting errors. If you're targeting the 40% of the population, the bottom 40%, we have evidence that most of these schemes fail, uh, you know, have many inclusion and exclusion errors. That they happen to deprive the genuine beneficiaries or happen to register those who are not entitled to it. Uh, as, as well as the low awareness and the low utilization of these schemes, it's it's more more or less universal. These problems still persist. Mm, so yes, uh, it, it's hard to see how these schemes have helped expand universal health coverage. We're hopeful that incrementally this is going to improve. Um, even but but the reality remains that we are progressing at a snail pace. For example, uh, for the past three years, not including this year, of course, the Ayushman Bharat budget. It has remained stagnant, uh, both the, uh, the the actual utilization of the budget as well as the budget expenditure. Only this year, there, there has been a minor increase in, uh, in in the budgetary allocation for Ayushman Bharat, but uh, it, it's of the order of around 7,200 crores. But the total out-of-pocket expenditure in India is uh, about is more than three lakh crores. So you can imagine how minimal a role they currently play in the country. Going back to something you said earlier, Doctor, and we'll wrap up with this. Could it be argued that the right to health, as you told us, stems from the right to life, which is enshrined in the Constitution? So could it be argued that India in itself, in, as a whole, needs a right to health legislation too, considering that out-of-pocket expenditure, as per the latest government figures, is almost 50%. 50% coming from patients directly paying to the healthcare providers. Right, right. All right. So, yeah, indeed, uh, there are judicial rulings which have upheld the same. Judicial rulings which have ruled that uh, the right to health comes under the ambit of the right to life. Uh, There are multiple such rulings of the Supreme Court. 
but of course, these ob uh, they lay an obligation on the state to uh, fund healthcare, to provide a reasonable level of healthcare to its citizens. But this is, of course, not without any qualification. It's not that uh, you know unlimited amounts of healthcare can be given by the state. This is also acknowledged by the courts that state should try to its best uh, ability, to, you know, to to avail this. Uh, apart from that, international treaties, um, the international covenant on economic, social, and cultural rights, on racial discrimination, multiple such covenants have also uh, such clauses which. Uh, you know, put an, an, an obligation upon the member state to treat health as a right. Okay, but uh, again, uh, it, it, like there, there is no uh, clause as such that obligates the state to pass a legislation. You're free to pursue it as a policy or a legislation. Of course, this does not skip the uh, accountability part. These international covenants require the state to do their best to uh, furnish healthcare to its people, but uh, there is no obligation for any legislation as such. Health, um, as you know, is a, it's a state subject, and so something like what was done to the education uh, by moving it to the concurrent list uh, can really empower the parliament to legislate on this, on, on this place. Now, this is a very audacious idea, so to speak. And indeed, this idea has been uh, expressed and backed by the expert committee uh, to the 15th Finance Commission. Now, the question is, should this be considered? It's, it's a rather radical idea, but I say that why don't we consider this? Because some of the prime objections against moving education to the concurrent list, which was, for example, the, you know, the language diversity, the cultural diversity, representation issues, okay, these don't really... Uh, typically apply to the healthcare sector in principle. You don't want to segment healthcare provision along cultural lines or, you know, uh, we, we have to deliver healthcare equitably. So we, it, it's difficult to imagine uh, that half the states in the country are acknowledging the right to health and others haven't. So, okay, so this picture doesn't really reek of, you know, enough national solidarity or coherence in the first place. So these are some of the reasons we might just consider this idea. Again, it makes for a good area for debate uh, by legal and health experts. But yes, there is indeed some scope in that. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Doctor. Thank you so much, Veda. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.